Here with Bob Myers, the ESPN NBA analyst, of course, the great former general manager, the architect of the four-time NBA champion Golden State Warriors, and now special advisor to the Washington (laughs) Commanders, Josh Harris. Before we get started, Bob, um, did you? I sent my resume in for special teams coach. Yeah, we got it. You got it. Yeah. I, I don't really have any experience, like formal experience, but yeah, I've got some ideas, some thoughts, some things that I think would work at the NFL level. So <laughs> yeah. let me know. Let me know. I think you, I can. You want to let know now or later? Do you want to? We can talk about it off. We here. can do it now if you want. We can. We can we talk can, about it. Off. I can say. I just you. think I have some interesting ideas. I think I have a response now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, since since you're um, off of search Moving duties, on. search duties in Washington, um, big trade in the NBA today, Bob. And just as you were landing in here for uh, NBA countdown, uh, Pascal Siakam to Indiana, and now you know, really two of the big players that we thought would go and have gone at the trade deadline, both from Toronto, OG Ananobi, and now Siakam goes to Indiana. Bruce Brown Jr., uh, Jordan Nawara. Uh, three first-round picks to Toronto, who now are in a full rebuild. What does Indiana look like to you now with this group that has probably surprised people this year, overachieved? Tyrese Halliburton is having an incredible season. And now you add Pascal Siakam to, to this team in the East. Well, it was the hole they needed. If you talk to Kevin Pritchard, that was... What they were looking for, a wing that could score, defend. I mean, Siakam's the best one on the market, the best one that I think was attainable for this Pacers team. Um, but as far as as far as what do they look like now, a better version of what they were. I don't think it changes them entirely, but I do think they become a team that should maybe have designs on a second round, uh, possibly if they can get up to that 4-5 or five seed, but they've given the Bucks problems, as everybody knows. Siakam probably helps them defensively. It doesn't hurt them offensively. So it's fine. And, and again, Indiana, even with cap space, I'm not sure they were getting a better player uh, in free agency. So they decided to kind of take away the unknown and go get Siakam. And I like it for them. And Toronto at the same time also, Masai is realizing either accept that they're going to pay him a max and go forward with that team or move on. And he did, did this deal. And he got a lot of draft picks. And Bruce Brown, maybe you can move him on later if they want, if they don't want him for something. So overall, I think it helps both teams. Interesting leverage in this deal, and you look at, you know, Toronto had conversations with a lot of teams, but I think the one ace in their pocket that the Pacers had was that they had max cap space this summer, and there was a sense that Siakam really liked the idea of Indiana, and if you're anybody else, the idea of trading for him as a potential rental, that you just weren't going to be willing to surrender as much as Indiana did with the confidence they have that he's not going to be a rental with the Pacers, that he's going to resign. I think it's kind of created a marketplace where it was tilted toward Indiana and and they were in great position to get this thing done and, and really outbid the market without having to give up any of the good young guys they had that Toronto wanted in the deal that uh, ended up not being a part of it. Yeah, and you mentioned before, this is this is the NBA that Adam Silver wants. This is the NBA which a lot of smaller market teams are looking for, where you're looking at a situation where a player like Siakam probably would have been in demand in, in many of the major markets. They would have loved to have had him. But a team like Indiana has the space, has the inclination, has the assets to go get him, and he's likely, like you said, going to sign a long-term deal. 
in Indiana, and you're going to have a max player along with Halliburton in a market that may have trouble attracting players. So, like I said, good job by Kevin Pritchard and the front office of the Pacers to take away the uncertainty. We're not playing the free agency game. We're going to assure that we get our small forward. We've got Halliburton, Miles Turner at the center spot, and now the wing. And they feel like they've got Matherin as well. they got Walker coming up. So they have a lot of things they like on this team. And um, let's see where it goes. I don't know that it changes everything this year, but right. next year you might, have a, you might have a team that's on the upswing. The value of having a player like Tyrese Halliburton, who guys look at around the league, he's not in a glamour market. That's not what Indiana is. But there's no question, and I've heard it from guys, and I've heard it from their agents. It is intriguing to people. They look at how much fun it is to play there, how much fun he is to play there, how unselfish he is. And it it sometimes allows you to play up in class in terms of your market, that that he makes up for the difference that a Midwestern market um, might have had trouble. Listen, you can always make the trade, but you have trouble keeping the guy. And and Halliburton changes that. Of course. Uh, the person, the player, a uh, combination of both. Uh, a guy that I don't think is seemingly trying to take the spotlight from anybody. Um, certainly shares the ball on the court. I think shares the attention um, with his teammates. Very likable guy. Very cerebral. Very smart. Very down-to-earth guy. Um, and who wouldn't want to play with him, right? He distributes the ball, tries to win. Um, so, look, for him also, gives him another weapon yeah. to play with. But this is the model, again, that this is a team that's built it well. Kevin Pritchard, great trade, like we said. Sabonis fit them, and also the Kings benefited. Um, you know, getting these guys in place to see what they can be over the next three, four years. But finding a small forward in this modern NBA is almost impossible. You know, if you don't draft the guy – Getting one in free agency, there just aren't any. So this was the path, this was the way, and then they executed it. You, you said it earlier, Bob, and it, it's very simple, but people sometimes don't understand how hard it is to acquire a very good player. I'm not sure Siakam's a great player, but he's a two-time All-Star. He's a very good player. And especially that position, they are hard to get. Oh, yeah. Well, no doubt. I am hard because everybody wants them, right? They fit every team. So if you're looking for a center um, or you're trying to trade a center, or acquire, there's centers all over. There's one guy that plays center on your team, usually one guy. A wing player, like you take guys like Mikel Bridges, these guys, OG Anobi, that were traded, have high, higher value than the public might think because you can fit them on any team. It's funny, when we traded for, or we signed, it was a sign and trade, but in free agency, got a Godala. A lot of people thought, this was in 2000, I think, 12. Mm -hmm. Why would you sign a Godala? You've got Harrison Barnes. So our thinking was, you can never have enough wings. I think at the time, it was a little bit of a um, unique way of thinking. But our position was, let's get as many of these guys as we can and let them figure it out. That's what Siakam can be. He can be a three, four, um, multiple positions. You can plug him in. He can he can catch the ball. He can not. He can defend multiple positions. So that's why those guys carry so much value, and that's why they're so hard to attain. We've talked about this uh, a few times today, but the idea of with the new salary cap and the second apron and the limitations that are on big market teams there was a time with whether it was you with Golden State or the Clippers that if you had you, you maybe didn't have to make as many difficult choices. If you had talent in your organization, you could keep it if you were willing to spend into the luxury tax. And 
you could draft a player like Jordan Poole, develop him, he becomes a $100 million-plus player, and you could re-sign him. It changes now with that second apron because it is so punitive to be above that $190 million mark that teams are going to do whatever they can to be below it. Now, the Clippers, probably this year, they're in it. Golden State may still be in it another year. But this is what the league wanted. They wanted the very, very good and some of the great players to be spread around this league. So instead of Golden State, the Lakers, the Clippers, having three max players, maybe you have two and a half, and players like Pascal Siakam are in Indiana, and they're going to be – you're starting to see that if those guys want max money, the max dollars are elsewhere, and you saw a player who was eager to go get it in Indiana. Yeah, I think a couple things. Used to be as a GM, you would go to your owner, and it was not your money, right? It was just, do you want to go into the tax? No skin off my back. It's just more money. Now, if if you're a good GM, you recognize that you don't want to be frivolous with money, even if it's not yours. You want to be responsible with your owner. But at the same time, the owner made that call as far as, I think it's worth it. It's my money. I want to do it. What's happened now with the second apron, by the system limitations that it creates, taking away potential freezing first-round picks, not being able to aggregate in trades, you now probably have GMs saying, even with an owner willing to spend, owner might be saying, hey, look, I'll throw the money at this. And the GM says, no, no, we can't do that. Even if, even if I could let you, I won't, because I don't want to be constrained by the system issues. So what does that mean? To tie it back to what you said, it's if you're a player and you're coveting that max salary, your choices might be a max salary in a market that may be a smaller mid-market that doesn't have two max players already. Or conversely, if you want to do that three-headed monster thing, it's not going to be a max deal anymore. It's going to be $30 million instead of 45 How many guys are actually going to do that? My, my opinion is not many. They're going to go for the money. And, and you're seeing even the Clippers, right? They got Kawhi Leonard under the max. You would assume in negotiations they're hopeful to get Paul George under that number. Then they've got James Harden. If the Clippers are going to keep their team together, it's going to take people maybe taking less to stay than might be available with a cap a space team to go. And it's just it used to just be automatic max contract on top of max contract in your 30s. I just think there's going to be a lot of harder yeah. negotiating going on. Well, right? and also if you're a player. Uh, you know, hey, Adrian, I know you want a max. You say, of course, I'm a max player. I say, well, listen, the problem is if we give you a max, it ties up our picks. We're a second apron team. Now, you still may say, I don't care. But you say, well, listen, we have to care. We can't do that. It ties up our team. We're trying to contend. We're trying to compete. So the question is, like you said, it, it will. the point is, the simple point is it, it should and will spread out talent. And that was the whole point of making it more than a monetary punitive issue. Now it becomes you're paying the multiple in the luxury tax, which is is a lot and was punitive. But at the same time, now they're taking a situation and saying, even if you're willing to do that, we're going to hit you in other ways and make it so it's not just a money thing. Now it's a system thing. And that's why you're going to see these things like today where Siakam says, hey, maybe I want to go play somewhere else. Maybe I don't. I don't know what was in his head. But if I want my money, I'm going to Indiana. Trade deadline, Bob. Uh, you've been through. This will be the first year you're not going through one. I'm sure you're missing those late night those calls, so great early That's morning so calls, fishing calls. Anybody ever call? Once Steph Curry was Steph Curry. Now I'm not talking early in his career, but once he was an MVP and you, you won your first championship. Did you ever get a, did any, anybody ever have the guts to call you and ask and propose a Steph Curry trade? Well, one guy took a shot. Wait, you know who he is. I, I, I you know who he is. I'm very Take confident who he is. Take a guess. 
Um, I'm guessing he probably was in Houston then. And no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, him, no? him too. Another okay. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and he's. I, I, look, I never was upset at anybody asking. The, uh, a GM's job is to mine for trades. That's a GM's job. So, you know, but but Ainge was the one that was always. Oh, Ainge, Ainge was right. the one. Yeah. Ainge was always going. Well, Ainge yeah. recommended you and for the I, job. I, that's right. I owed it to Ainge. Right. Danny I owed Ainge, my career Danny to Ainge. Ainge recommended yes. you to Joe Lacob. So, so I can't. I can't be upset with Ainge. I can't be upset with. Return the favor. Give me Curry. <laughs> no, uh, but Ainge is. Yeah. Ainge, Did you just laugh? Did you laugh? Yeah, we laughed. But Ainge, Ainge is like I said. Yeah. We have we had a good relationship, so it was funny. <laughs> but yeah, no, you got to ask. I mean, everybody knew that wasn't happening, so. You know, it was, it was kind of a good laugh. So, You know, people, what's always interesting to me in talking to GMs through lots of trade deadlines is how many different contingencies might be up on their board, and especially as you get closer. What is a whiteboard that you might have, or however you do it, magnets or write it out or computerized? How many different scenarios do you have to be ready to decide on? Because... If somebody calls you at, let's say, trade deadline's 3 o'clock, and somebody calls you at 2 o'clock with an offer that you've already gone through with your group, right, what you would say to certain offers that maybe haven't even come yet. Mm -hmm. You've discussed some of them through or some that maybe have only been half-baked. What is that like? How much is in play at any given deadline that you have to make decisions on probably in very short windows? Quite a bit, uh, you know, but it, it bleeds down into it gets refined each day, each hour. You're kind of focusing and you're eliminating. And so, so what might start as a board full of trade concepts that are incoming or outgoing, by the, by the third day, as you approach it, by the second day, you're whittling it down. Because even to focus on one deal takes a lot of different iterations. But you may start out with six, seven different concepts, and all of a sudden you realize, well, the other partner, trade partner, is not open to that. Or... Somebody gets an injury. That happens sometimes. Even a sprained ankle can derail a trade because you don't know the degree of it. You don't have the x-rays, you don't have the MRIs. Um, other trades can shake up your trade. Um, you may be waiting on a team or you may be waiting on another team or a deal where you say, I'll do that deal if I don't get the other thing or I have this deal in front of that deal. So, so it's a puzzle, right? But you do rank in order of what you're hoping to accomplish. Uh, most of the time, these things don't happen. I can tell you every team is probably looking at multiple trades right now, trade ideas, trade concepts. Uh, as you stated, two hour, an hour before the deadline, you're not getting a real trade proposal. And if you do, you're kind of upset. You're kind of like, well, I don't have enough time to digest this one hour left in the deadline. But if you're working towards something, you might have a sense of it's going to get there or not. A lot of times the night before you go to bed, you have a sense of what may or may not happen. The one hour, two hour before might be, hey, we'll give you a second round pick. Right. Just, just, the, just the throwaway deals. They don't require a ton of thought. Trying to get off a player, what's it going to take for you to take this contract to get me out of the tax? Stuff like that. But it's, uh, it's, um, it moves fast, but most of the time if you're doing it right, you've had a decent amount of time to kind of distill the real deals. How much value do you put in? Because you see it a lot at trade deadline. There's certain teams who trade with certain teams that a big part of that are relationships and history and trust. Utah and Cleveland have had this run of years of doing some big trades, smaller trades. As you get down to get down to it around a trade deadline or, or making a deal, you, you kind of learn the rhythm of certain organizations, how they deal, who might back away from you get a sense early, they might be willing and then they back away and 
you know, there's different styles. How much does how much do relationships play into getting stuff done? Oh, huge. Well, speaking from my own experience, at least I knew based on kind of prior conversations or issues that we'd been through. Um, I knew what kind of I knew who I was talking to, so to speak. So it's always important to know the veracity of a conversation with I've dealt with this person before. Sometimes you deal with them and you say, I, I know this is BS because I, I went down the road with this person and they pulled the rug out. You know, and other times you say, um, listen, I've had business with this person and I know I can trust them and this is legit. Um, and once we get done with the podcast, I'll give you all the names. For you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a premium subscription if you want the names. That that's that's right. ESPN Plus. That's right. Um, you've got to buy Commander season tickets yes. to get part of the to package. get those part of the package. Of the package. Uh, all right, Bob, you uh, you've got a flight to catch yes, here sir. back home. Uh, listen, we'll we'll talk a lot more about this stuff as we get closer to uh, the trade deadline. And um, you'll just be a TV guy for the trade deadline this year. So we'll be glad to have you. Okay. That's a good way to wrap up the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. You're welcome, Bob. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also listen to the Adam Schefter podcast with my good friend, Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time.